Welcome to our Survive and Thrive Guide program entitled Safety Plan Templates for Everyone. Our goal is to share typical infection scenarios and checklist templates so that families, youth, and college students can build them into their safety plan. I'm Dr. Charles Denham. I'm Chairman of TMIT Global and co-founder of the MedTAC Bystander Rescue Care Program. You know, it's a real honor to speak on behalf of our rapid response team that was convened at the time of the coronavirus crisis. When the coronavirus crisis hit, we convened them from our pool of subject matter experts. We also drew on our multimedia library of national leader messages from two Discovery Channel documentaries we produced. Our goal was to meet the vital needs of our essential, critical infrastructure workforce families. Then the program expanded to the general public when we realized we were meeting a critical need of all families. On behalf of this team, I invite you to join our community of practice. It is an ongoing learning community producing live monthly webinars, mobile-friendly courses, and tools you need to take care of your families. We are also undertaking a formal multi-institutional research project focused on the families of caregivers, security staff at leading medical centers, and the general public. Our discovery has been that we just can't train essential infrastructure workers alone. Their Achilles heel and the Achilles heel of our country are family transmission chains. Many are not being infected at work, but at home through the family living unit. Save the family, you save the worker. Save the families across communities, you save the nation. As I record this message, there's a new COVID-19 infection every second and more than one death every two minutes in America. This demands our action. This program is a recording of a live webinar broadcasted to our community of practice November 5th, 2020. Let's go to that recording now. I'd like to have uh, uh, Jennifer Dingman open for us. She's the founder of Pulse. You see on the slide what that stands for. Most importantly, she is a winner of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award and was part of our team who entirely won it, uh, who have worked together for over a decade in the area of patient safety and quality. Uh, she has been a national speaker. She is a published author, and she represents uh, the families who have have been impacted by patient safety issues. Jennifer, it's always a delight to have you open us. Would you please send our Good morning, and thank you so much, Dr. Denham, for having me today. I'm really excited about this webinar. With the spread of COVID right now in our country, it's essential that patients and families know exactly how to deal with this and what to do. And your webinars have been a lifesaver for so many. I encourage everyone listening today and watching to please share the slides and then forward the, the, audio, uh, the video of this, uh, the audio of this webinar to your families, friends, and colleagues in the future. Our speakers are outstanding as always. And as I said, I'm really excited to be here today and thank everyone here, our speakers, participants, most of all, Dr. Denham, and the organization for doing this. Thank you, Dr. Denimal. Hand it back over to you. Great, Jennifer. You uh, react uh, with us and uh, speak at the end. So uh, the organization that founded this is our global, uh, TMIT Global, and our purpose is we will measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families and patients and caregivers 
Our mission is to accelerate performance solutions that save lives, save money, and create value in the community. Our core values are integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship. We try to live those values through our work. Uh, on slide seven are the disclosure statements. No product, service, or technology will be shared other than the concept of using a pulse oximeter, and none of us have any relationship with any company or re will recommend them. However, they could be life-saving for people that have COVID. Uh, our TMIT global research testbed evolved over the last 35 years, and we have direct relationships with 3,100 hospitals and 3,000 communities, roughly three out of five hospitals. And over the years, we've had wonderful subject matter experts like our speakers today, and our pool has grown to way over 500. Uh, about five years ago, we counted them all up, and they all make wonderful contri uh, uh, contributions to our, our programs. Uh, our subject matter experts range from doctors, uh, uh, pharmacists, nurses, nurse prevention, uh, infection preventionists, lawyers, financial people, biomedical engineers, uh, and also community leaders across uh, our great nation. And actually, we work very closely with the, with the World uh, Health Organization, and we have global leaders as well in public health and information technologies. Today, we have a terrific set of speakers to address uh, today's uh, program. And uh, they range from uh, leaders of security at two, our two top hospitals uh, in the United States and probably the world. We have uh, doctors that are critical care doctors, emergency medicine doctors, nurse preventionists, emergency uh, preparedness leaders, uh, uh, EMTs, college students, uh, and even uh, high school freshmen. Uh, we have committee leaders from scouting and representatives from faith-based organizations. I'll introduce each one of them as we have them as speakers, but the goal is really to tackle um, a pretty detailed topic today. Now, uh, today as we record this, uh, we have an infection every second and a death every two minutes in the United States. Uh, I will warn you that our audience our doctors and pharmacists and nurses and biomedical engineers, they're all pretty demanding of great detail. So this is gonna be a much more detailed presentation than we would usually do. We've also invited the general public to join us. So those of you that are in the general public, please understand that we're, we're, we're training the leaders in the scientific community with you together. And we're explaining that's why. Now, every program, needs to really use stories. These are three stories that we'll address today during this more technical program. A 13-year-old who was uh, on quarantine for COVID-19 and passed away just days later. A 20-year-old who was on quarantine in her dorm room uh, in, uh, died of a pulmonary embolism and her test result for her COVID test, unfortunately, wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, provided to she, her family, or her friends her friends, and she passed away from a pulmonary embolus. And there are many long haulers now that are experiencing the long haul uh, impact of COVID. Now, one of the things that I wanna do is just to make sure that we all understand that this is part of a series. And so I will very rapidly go through some setup slides uh, that have come from our prior programs. And so when you look at the programs that we have today uh, that, uh, that we're, we're watching in the, uh, uh, along the timeline you see there, our first in this series was our Survive and Thrive Guide, Coming Home Safely. You'll see some of the slides today. I'm not gonna go into detail, but how to protect your you and your family from the virus. Then below the arrow uh, are keeping our kids safe. We actually, how you identify the patient 
um, and family impact scenarios for your own family, how you look at the internal risks of your own family and threats, and how you look at them externally as you try to protect your family. Then above the line, last month we did creating your family safety plan. We covered it at a high level of concepts, but today the webinar on, uh, underneath the, the arrow is a deep dive on templates for everyone. So we want to make sure if you're a first timer with us, you might be a little lost. Go back and watch our prior webinars. They, they've had ter terrific speakers. And in December, we're going to do a deep dive on how to take care of somebody at home if they get sick with COVID. Um, the web page, uh, we the, the web page that you uh, are on and stand by, uh, uh, Kyle. Uh, would you please uh, forward the link, the panelist link to Dr. Uh, to Mr. David Besh uh, for the webinar? He, I, I think, he's having a hard time uh, accessing it. So, would you do that, please? Um, so, this this web page that you see is is where we'll continue to add a number of templates that we're covering today, uh, and these links. Uh, uh, and uh, downloadable uh, resources will be available to you. We've just written an article that describes what you're seeing in the webinar today, and this um, uh, this uh, this webinar. Uh, uh, we were asked by Campus Safety Magazine to write an article this last week, which we did, which will be published in Campus Safety Magazine. We've, we've uploaded that for you, and you can download that article. Now, for those of you that are very demanding about detail, we wanted to make sure that you see the level of detail we're covering today. For those that haven't been with us before, this will look like an eye chart. But many of us in healthcare want to have checklists that have real details. So this slide I'm not gonna go over now, but I'll go over the checklists that we're going to be covering. And we'll be covering what we call the five R's, readiness, response, rescue, recovery, uh, and resilience. And we will be covering those uh, uh, for you. Now, a little bit of history. This program started as we've been, uh, as we've been developing uh, tools for our essential critical workforce uh, who are 16 industry sectors. And as you see in the right, on the left side of the slide, teachers and educators have been added to that group. And so now over 100 million people in America have to work to keep the water, energy, information flowing, and now the education flowing in our country. So what we did at the beginning of this crisis back in March was we assembled a 60-member rapid response team. Some of them are speaking today. Some will be speaking next month. Some spoke last month. And they are both uh, subject matter experts from our work, but also, and you'll see uh, Sully Sullenberger and Dr. Howard Coe from the former uh, administration. You'll see astronauts here. You'll see leaders of various universities. Uh, and these uh, people uh, were speakers in our Discovery Channel films. What you're part of right now is a community of practice where we convene you, connect you, celebrate, co-create, and change the world. The reason for showing you this slide is, is that we want you to help weigh in on the templates that we'll work on uh, today uh, and that we'll sh share with you. And so your essential workers and the general public, public and families and educators on our website, that is the same website where the webinars are, there are a number of videotapes that you can watch that are ranged from four minutes. The longest one is on the science of masks. It's about uh, uh, 27 minutes. Many of them are under 10, 10 minutes. And then we have the 90-minute webinar videos as well available to you. So what about our topic today? Creating your family safety plan. This was our webinar uh, that we ha hosted last uh, month. 
We are studying families, families of critical essential workers. You can see the number of academic organizations uh, that are listed, their leaders, their top uh, U.S. News and World Report ranked medical centers and some of the greatest medical centers in America. We're working with them to study families of critical essential workers, and we've expanded this program to the general public as well. So we're, we'll welcome the care moms and the care dads and the families and scouts that have joined us uh, today that are not part of the essential critical workers. I want to draw your attention to last week. The CDC released a study that was a prospective study of people who were infected, and they studied every day the family members. And this is the best study that we have right now, uh, and it was uh, written up by Vanderbilt. 53% of those living with somebody who were COVID positive on a test developed the infection, and 75% of the infections occurred within five days. This is the best study we have to show that we have transmission chains, family transmission chains. Well, we already believed that that was true at the very beginning of our research. So we have over 550 responses from families, and we're shooting for 1,000 families that we are studying before we publish the research. But we found that we can't train essential infrastructure workers alone. We actually need to train the family unit. The Achilles heel of our communities are our family units. We can't just train the infrastructure workers. Our family transmission chains are the are the, where transmission can occur at work, at play, school, and 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 uh, when we're out in the community. In fact, my own son is 14. We were notified he's now got to be on quarantine today. He's one of our speakers who we pre-recorded because he was going to school. This is happening to all of us. If you save the families, you can save the worker. So if we can break these transmission chains, we can actually save the worker. If we save the families across our communities we can actually save our nation. That's our focus is family transmission chains. We, we have a survey at the end of this webinar. We would uh, love to have you respond to it. It's part of the study. And what we want you to do is say, if you've already responded to the survey, take it again, just click that you yes have taken it, and you see in red, state what you want to see in the, in the family safety plan templates. The group that are on the webinar today we will be working over the next few days to actually update the templates and have them up on the website for you. So today, our webinar is Save, uh, Save Plan Templates for everyone. Next, uh, next month, the first Thursday of the month, we're providing care at home. We're really excited about that. We've done a tremendous amount of work on how you can safely take care of somebody at home. Uh, Dr. Gregory Boats is uh, one of our co-founders. He's a critical care doctor, a professor of anesthesia and critical care at the University of Texas. He's also an adjunct, uh, adjunct faculty at Stanford Medical College and Stanford Medical Center here in California. And we have a short clip of an audio clip from Dr. Boats. Dr. Boats, thank you so much for joining us today. Help us set the stage for why it's so important that families put together a plan and manage a plan, plan the flight, fly the plan. Well, I'm glad to be with you again today. And over the last several months with previous webinars, we've learned the science behind each of the important aspects of a family plan. But today we learn how to put it into practical language and practical use. We know that high reliability teams use good communication and teamwork to effectively do their jobs. And so this is a highly reliable family exercise using a cognitive tool like a checklist, which helps you to uh, 
follow your plan effectively, especially when there's stress associated with perhaps someone in the family being sick, um, so that you don't miss anything, and you can effectively deploy the plan to keep you and your family safe. Thank you. And we're covering not only the family, but we use the term family as the living units and why it's so critically important to address the family transmission chains or the living unit transmission chains. Any comments there? Well, I know from the data we are gathering about the COVID-19 pandemic that family transmission is a significant concern and threat to our critical workforce and to our families in general. So interventions that we can do, good practices that we can put in place that break that transmission chain will help to reduce the spread of COVID-19 in our community. And the final question is deliberative practice. You're someone who's had formal training and simulation. Your pitch for families practicing the skills. Well, I've been practicing deliberate practice my entire career as an educator and as a clinician. It's so important to actually practice the things that you want to do because there are inevitably gaps between what you think you can do and what you can actually do, especially under stress. And so having some muscle memory, if you will, in practicing this plan will make you much more effective in putting it in place when it's needed. And you also can identify some gaps or slips or, or missing elements in your plan that will only become a, a evident when you put the plan in place. That puts you at a very significant disadvantage. Doing deliberate practice makes you ready. Thank you, Dr. Boats. We really appreciate your contributions and all you've done to, to contribute to the content that we're showing today. My pleasure, thank you. So thank you for, uh, 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 we're so thankful that we have uh, Dr. Boats as, uh, as someone to help us. Now I'm gonna rapidly go through just a little bit of a primer of what we've done in the in the in the prior uh, webinars. Just for those of you who are uh, who are joining us, and those of you who would like a, just a quick review. Uh, I'm not going to go through the detail, but our first webinar was addressing the hot zone where we get can get infected, the warm zone where we want to disinfect or where we're in transition, and the safe zone, which is our home and where we want to keep safe from the virus. And the critical issue is the safe zone is also going to be a hot zone if you have to take care of someone who is sick. So we addressed each one of these, how to maintain protection, disinfection and storage of your personal protective equipment, how to maintain that virus-free zone, and we went through a lot of detail. I'm gonna just move quickly through, I'm not reading the slides. Please watch the prior webinar, but you can see the level of detail that we addressed for each one of these areas. And you'll have to define where you'll become disinfected. Our background infection rate in our communities is getting so excessive that we all have to do this across the country. And again, when, in, when we have somebody who's in isolation who's sick, then we've got to really think about the hot zone within our safe zone and how we have to handle that. Our next webinar was keeping our kids safe. And actually we did, took a deep dive on threats, mathematically, what are the threats to us from this virus? Our vulnerabilities, that's, those are the weaknesses that the virus can exploit, and then the probability of risk, which is the probability of harm. And we went through that, we described the steps. Identify each member's threat profile in your family or your living unit. We've got college students on that have roommates. Your living unit is like your family away from home. Identifying the local virus threats, developing a safety plan, and then plan the flight and fly the plan. 
Again, we identified, and I'm going to just rock it through these slides just to let you know they're here and let you know to go back to our last webinar. But we taught you how to look at the outside threats in the community and the inside threats, which are your space, living space, and the people in your family. And we address those in kind of a step-by-step -step guide on how to do that. Um, on slide 46, I, I assessed my family's threats, inside threats and outside threats here in Orange County, California, and you'll hear me describe that in the webinar. What is the goal? To reduce your vulnerability. That's our, our goal. So our steps then are to create a safety plan to reduce the vulnerability, and that's what we covered last month, uh, which was these are the basics of the five R's of readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience. So that's what we covered last month. Uh, and we, we've talked about this uh, uh, in great detail. So today, what we're going to do is now we're taking a deeper dive. And in the last webinar, we said, look, if we were to map each one of the five R's against the, the typical scenarios, the family scenarios that might strike you and your family, what would they be? You've got to customize your checklist based on who's in your family or your living unit as a college student or if you're just living with one person. And each one of these scenarios uh, have a different set of circumstances, and I'm just going to cover them very briefly. But every plan should include what you would do, for instance, if you're exposed. What would you do if someone gets sick? And so let's go through these. The first one is very, very clear. No exposure, no test, or a negative test. Look, you're, you're very susceptible. We, there, there are a majority of Americans right now are just susceptible to this virus. The second is, what if you're exposed? Last month, the guidelines changed. It's if you're exposed to somebody for a total of 15 minutes over 24 hours, not just under six feet for 15 minutes. So this means we've really got to follow the CDC guidelines. And what do we do? We have to quarantine for 14 days. Well, what's quarantine? Quarantine's a little bit different than isolation. Isolation here is, you can see on this, scenario, and I'm just going through this table very quickly so we can then get to what do we do about these. If you're infected, meaning you have a positive test, but you're not symptomatic or what we say in medicine, asymptomatic, it doesn't matter. You must be in isolation. That means that you must, you must be considered to be able to, to be contagious and you in your home, you've got to be almost like we're in a hospital and we've isolated you away from all the other patients and because you could be shedding the virus to the other people around you. So being infected with a positive test, regardless of whether you're symptomatic, you're contagious. Then the other group, and, and that might be a group that never gets symptoms. Then there's the group that get symptoms, and it turns out that in those first few days before you develop symptoms, which is typically five or six days, you're also very contagious. And so, well, what do we do about that? Same thing, this term called isolation, which means when you're in your home, you've got to be isolated completely away from the rest of the family. And we'll go into that in more detail in our next webinar, but separate room, separate airflow if possible, separate cutlery, separate uh, activities, everybody's wearing masks. This is a lot more than just staying in your house in terms of lockdown. So let's remember that that, that, that is really key and that you are potentially shedding virus. Um, you can be you can then get symptoms. And so both, both are, you have the test that's positive, 
but you may also develop severe symptoms, which we're gonna to cover today. And the severe symptoms now, as the, as the conditions have, 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 have uh, transpired, we understand them better. Severe signs and symptoms uh, can be recognized much better now. And uh, the CDC has given us what they call emergency signs requiring immediate medical care. Emergency signs requiring immediate medical care. And we're so grateful to have a chairman of one of our great emergency medicine departments, uh, Dr. Chris Fox, who's going to speak to this issue with us. But uh, now when you're infected and you get these serious symptoms, you have to act quickly to get your family member or your living roommate or whoever to the care provider or directly to the hospital because you may, they may be admitted to hospital and this is very serious. And, uh, and, and we need to get uh, into that care and get the immediate care with oxygenation and the other things that, uh, that you hear about and you've read about. So very, very important as we think about rescue. And then finally, the worst of all of the scenarios is when you've got a, a loved one or family member in ICU on life support, may even be on an artificial lung, which is called ECMO. And we've got videos on our website to describe this. Unfortunately, we can't visit in most hospitals, visit our family members, uh, even when they go to the emergency department in some cases. So that's a quick review of these scenarios. We covered the scenarios in the last webinar. We're gonna cover them in the next one, but just for us to understand the issue of isolation is when you have the disease and you could definitely give it to someone else. Quarantine is your watchful waiting to see if you might develop the disease. And in your family, if you've got people that are higher risk, they're aged, underlying conditions, would you, would you bias yourself to be really more towards isolation? Absolutely, you really wanna make sure that you're not going to give this disease to someone else. We use the term, who is the CFO or the chief family officer of the family? And there's no better person to talk to chief family officers than my, uh, my partner in training here in California where we developed the MedTAC program, the, the MedTAC Bystander Rescue Care Program, where we focus on the eight leading causes of death that we can impact before EMS arrives. And it turns out infections is one of them. And this coronavirus uh, program has developed through that. So we also do CPR, use of automatic defibrillators, use of Narcan for opioid overdoses, uh, the Heimlich maneuver for choking, uh, and a number of other uh, uh, things that we can teach people before EMS arrives. Uh, Mr. Bashk is an award-winning educator. He's one of the recognized uh, teachers of the year by Parenting Magazine. He's a, uh, a winner of the uh, Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award uh, and just an, uh, an Eagle Scout, uh, a scout leader, and an all-around just terrific educator and in all of the places that I've had the blessing of being able to go to and, and teach at. He's the best educator I've ever worked on with bar not. So, uh, but thank you for joining us. And this is a slide from our prior deck that David went through to talk about the chief family officers, which we won't go through today. What we're gonna do, let's dig into the templates. It's 20, 26 minutes after the hour. David and I are gonna now dig into each of these five R's. It's a checklist. And I'm hearing some noise in the background if uh, uh, someone's not muted. So first off is readiness. What's readiness? Readiness is, and we've organized these checklists and templates, which we will keep updating on the website, by awareness, accountability, ability, and action. The family needs to be aware of the scenarios, the readiness uh, of each of the family scenarios we talked about. 
whether you're, inf you're exposed and not infected, whether you're infected, whether you're infected and symptomatic and need care, or whether you need rescue. So readiness is to prepare the family and know the background, threat, the background threats, being able to focus on prevention, preparedness, protection, and performance improvement. We got this in the templates so that you can kind of review how would we be ready if somebody's exposed, infected, infected and symptomatic, or who we need to rescue, or somebody who's getting better and they need to recover. And then accountability is actually having on that checklist actions that we can take to get that job done and a completion log to show it. Now, part of the readiness phase is to create this written family safety plan and actually work with the family to put it together, including assembling the family medical records. As Dr. Fox will tell you, um, when you go to the emergency department, having the medications and having the medical records or a, and a medical summary is vital to help the emergency medicine doctor know who's there and what they have. And then also being able to, to uh, establish your living space. So David, as we look at um, what advice do you have for us if for the readiness phase to be able to work with our kids and our families? You teach families all the time on how to learn together. Can you share with us your thoughts? Absolutely, Chuck. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, so as an educator and somebody who educates not just children, but also families and the chief family officers on a regular basis, what stands out to me here in the readiness section is number one is taking action, is actually sitting down and creating a written document that is something that's going to be the flight plan that you and your family are going to follow. And I think that that initial step is critical because it can set the tone for everyone in the family unit. This could be something that doesn't need to be scary. This is something that should be um, important. It should be something that everyone in the family has um, ownership and has a voice in, but it's something that you actually have to do. It's just like anything else. The, the getting over the initial uh, inertia of the project is the most important phase. So sit down, do it together, clear communication. This is something you're going to hear me say uh, virtually every single one of these sections is clear communication with everyone. We don't need to be hiding things from children. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to go into gory details on certain aspects, but you need to make sure that you're honest with them and understand that even the youngest of children can digest and can understand and can accept the, um, the, the, the implications of what's going on. So a family checklist, get it done, number one. Number two, what stands out to me, too, is that these are going to evolve. This is not a static document that you create. This is something that changes on a daily basis. For example, my wife and I are both school teachers, and if one of us has to stay home, the, the, the plan might tweak a bit. And when the other, you know, when one of us comes back to campus and we're both now in classrooms with students, that's going to make our family plan change. And when you create the document, create it, um, I, would, I would suggest you create it digitally, something that can go back and be modified, and that's something you can edit quite easily, and something that is um, possibly cloud-based or something that everyone has access to. So if one device goes down or one person who has all the passwords gets sick, um, everybody has access to it. So taking action, setting a clear, consistent tone, creating um, a plan that is um, able to evolve, and something that everyone has access to. Great, thank you so much. Um, and, and this applies to roommates, college roommates that are working together. Uh, yes. You know, that communication is vital, especially because you may not know each other that well and say, look, you know, we're fighting a war here. This is serious stuff. So the second is response. So response means 
do we what do we do we know what to do if something happens? And if you look on the left side of the page, exposure to an infected person, like happened to my son this morning, infected and asymptomatic, meaning they've got a test positive. They're not they're, they're not sick and they go well I got a positive test but I'm I you know I don't feel bad or infected and there's a real overlap between those two because it takes a few days and that's the dangerous thing about this virus is that uh, you're very very contagious before you get symptoms infected and symptomatic so do we know what to do to help take care of somebody in our house if they are infected positive test and symptomatic. And then infected and severely symptomatic and need help. And that's where Dr. Fox is helping us and, and the other emergency medicine doctors that we have. So being able to know how to respond to these scenarios is that first uh, check mark. The second is knowing what, how to respond and having in your checklist, okay, for each one of these, what are we going to do if? So if David and I, David Beshkin and I are roommates, what, are we, what happens if David is infected? Do we know what to do? Do we know? how to set up an isolation room in, the, in our apartment? Do we, do we know if we have kids that are infected? Gotta think those things through. Accountability. This is where each one of the members of the in the living unit, and we use family loosely. A family could be not at all related, but the family unit or living, living unit are the roommates. Can you divide up some duties? So if, if this, then we're gonna do that. If this, we're gonna do that. If this, we're gonna do that. Like, who's gonna take me to the hospital if I get sick? How would we do that? Would we roll the windows down in the car? Would we wear our masks? Where's my go bag? A go bag, which we have in this checklist is, if I had to go to the hospital and be by myself, what would I want there? Well, I want my phone, I'd want my charger, I want, I might, there might be medicines that I need to take, there might be eye drops, there might be contact lenses. Do you have all of that and are you ready to go? Response skills are, and this is where uh, you heard from, uh, from uh, Dr. Boats, we need to have deliberative practice. We need to practice putting on personal protective equipment. Do you know you have a really good seal around your mask? Are you taking care of your mask when you're around somebody who's sick? What about food service and laundry functions and the other things when somebody's sick in the home? And then having the resources. That staff means uh, you might have somebody come outside to help. I have I pay for someone to take care of my mom who's 99 in another home at another location. And uh, so staff, supplies, space, and financial resources. So. This, this checklist is one that says we can respond and it's activated when one of these scenarios occur. So we've got that list of four on the bottom part of the page. Exposure, infection, or infection and requiring emergency, uh, emergency care and getting someone in. So David, uh, as we talk about these scenarios and we talk about the critical importance and you, talk, you, you really emphasize communication. Isolation is somebody has the disease, they're sick, they can spread it to us, and they're in our own home. Our safe zone's now got a hot spot. What are we gonna do? Versus quarantine, like Charlie, my son, is upstairs, and we're watching to see if everything's okay, and we have to be careful, but we know, uh, we don't know whether he's got a positive test or not. Your comments there on what we can tell our families. So um, again, yes, it comes down to, to communication for me, but uh, uh, something that you said, Chuck, that stands out to me was when you're talking about creating your plan, and it, we really want to be thinking on a granular level. For example, when you're talking about if somebody is sick and you do have to commute them to the hospital, 
What, where are they sit, sitting in the car? Are they in the front seat? Or are they in the back seat? Are you keeping both windows open, both windows down? Do you keep the sunroof open? I mean, the, the, the level of detail that we really need to be thinking about um, if moving forward, if someone in our family does get sick, is very important because, you know, you don't want this great plan to break down on the commute to the hospital when now suddenly the driver's getting ill because they, they communicated the disease in the car. So, number one, that the, the, the details matter, and I like to say that God is in the details. Um, the other part to me is is clear communication, especially if we're talking about families with young children. Let's say, for example, you know, in my family, Daddy, I get sick, and we have to take Daddy to the hospital, and the kids now know that Daddy has COVID. That's going to be a huge emotional weight on everybody. And I think previewing that, talking about that, hey, boys, and hey, you know, sweetheart, sit down, let's talk about this as a family. If somebody does get sick, here's what it's going to look like, and try to preview and try to validate what those feelings and those emotions in the family are going to be, because your home is going to get turned upside down. And the last thing you want is your family plan to break down because emotions are breaking down. So validating emotions, talking about emotions, how to handle emotional situations as best you can really can set you up for success. Um, and back to the deliberate practice, again, practice, practice, practice. We do fire drills three or four times a year. We do um, earthquake drills here in California with kindergartners. And they get up, they walk outside, they sit in their lines, they're quiet. They're not scared. These aren't scary, you know, frightening events because we do deliberate practice. We talk about them. And the same thing should be done in the home when you're practicing and do deliberate actions to plan for COVID. Perfect. Thank you. Um, uh, so next, and, and this is where our emergency medicine doctors, uh, Dr. Fox is on today, Dr. Casey Clemens, who's the uh, head of emergency medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, where I was on faculty, and, uh, and Dr. Uh, uh, Christopher Toff uh, Peabody from UCSF have really helped us understand some of these really critical things that are really, really important. I mean, of all of the checklist items, I think all of us would agree, this one is really critical in knowing what to do. And this refers to uh, the family rescue scenario issues. This is where you can get sick pretty fast. And, it, and, and Dr. Fox has shared a really good idea for us to get a pulse oximeter, the, the uh, a device that actually measures the oxygen in our blood. I'll have him kind of address that when he speaks. But the issue is, as you see in the first bullet there, uh, trouble breathing, persistent pain and pressure in the chest, new confusion, inability to wake or stay awake, blue lips or face. These have now been put on the CDC website just in the last few weeks because they've identified that these are real you know, critical issues. Uh, rescue knowledge, again, coming back to the four Ps, and, and Chief Adcox, who's one of our, our leaders, global leaders in threat safety science, uh, and I and Dr. Boats worked on the four Ps, which are prevention, preparedness, uh, protection, uh, and performance improvement. Do you know the four Ps when it comes to rescuing a loved one, your roommate, or a friend? Um, accountability. Being able to be accountable for what tasks that you're going to take. Um, John Little, who will speak a little bit later, is a paramedic, worked with the, the, the police department, has taken care of more gunshot wounds than anybody I've ever heard of. One of my heroes that is at my church who protects our pastor, he'll speak about the issue of stress. And in this stressful environment where somebody's sick, you've got to have a checklist. And I'm a pilot. A lot of us are pilots. When, when something goes wrong in an airplane, especially more sophisticated uh, airplanes, you're so glad that you've got a checklist to remind you for each of the items that you have to address. 
I had a, that situation where a radio system went down in a jet that I was flying to California and going through storms, and I'll never forget how important it was to have the checklist with the two of us flying the airplane. Ability, rescue skills, knowing what to do, safe use of, uh, of PPE, safe transportation that we talked about, your rescue resources to make sure that you have those, and then following the plan for the family member and having that go bag and having everything ready in case somebody gets sick. So these are, this is probably the single most important issue. And, and David, you are, uh, you are a CPR instructor with us. We've been teaching MedTAC for five years. You've saved two people's lives using these tools. We've just at our small school. You, too, you teach, and Charlie's a, a, a student. We've had a father learn from our CPR work and save someone's life on the road. This is going to happen. You're going to need to know these things. David, what would you like to address regarding the rescue phase of, of the plan? So the rescue phase of the fa uh, the rescue phase, excuse me. Um, I think one of the words that jumps out to me here is evolving with these with these new CDC um, warning signs of trouble breathing and the bluish lips or face. It seems to me that it seems to be on a daily or weekly basis. The CDC is putting out new information, new warnings, new scenarios, and it's it's very important for us to keep up as a CFO and as a family to keep up with these ever changing um, uh, guidelines and information. It's important for us as a family to communicate those. And back to my one of my original tips is making sure that your plan is, is able. You can modify it easily, so that's a digital copy that you can go in and add new things. Um, another part here, thinking about families, especially families with young children, um, is with the rescue skills, trying to gamify this as much as you can. So maybe having, you know, contests, you could see who can put on the, 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 the gloves the fastest and who can, who can find the, the, the best place to, to hang up the masks. And turning this into somewhat of a game helps kind of diffuse some of the uh, emotions. It can uh, bring the family unit closer together. And it's, again, it's a way for us to have deliberate practice to know how to use these things in the event that we do have to use them. Great. And I, and I will say this is very common. I had a meeting scheduled two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, with a lady who has a family of four teenagers. She said, oh, can we cancel the meeting and do it next week? I've got to take my father to the hospital. The family took him to the hospital. He got COVID. Uh, the entire family got sick. We had to delay and keep delaying the meeting. He died yesterday. Mm. So th this is this is real. This is really happening in our communities, and we don't want to exaggerate the risk. But this is happening to people we know all the time. And now for recovery. So uh, recovery is really important. A lot of people think, oh well, I'm over it. I'm immune. There's there, there's really not really good data on how much immunity is conferred to you after you get this illness. You might be COVID positive and not have had much viral load and you got over it, but you didn't really have a big a florid response uh, uh, with your antibodies. And the antibodies you need are what are called neutralizing antibodies. Antibody tests can be misleading. We really don't know for sure. And a couple of things that we really need to emphasize are two things. One of the long haulers, and there's a the, the link uh, that you see here, and we'll have a uh, the, the, uh, we have the article from Harvard Medical School on long haulers. It's excellent. I pulled it up, turned it into a PDF, and put it on the website for you today. Uh, really good article on this condition that could occur where multiple organs get involved and you have lingering uh, uh, symptoms. And so if that happens to your roommate, your dad, your mom, your kids, or and the kids, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, MISC, 
We're seeing more and more of it where two or more systems are infected by inflammatory reactions. We know that one in three athletes that were positive for COVID that were basketball players had uh, MRI scans, that uh, magnetic resonance imaging structural scans that showed inflammation of their hearts. So just because you're over it doesn't mean you're over it. What you have to do is really make sure during the recovery phase and have, have a checklist to be able to follow. The other thing that Dr. Fox will share with you and our other emergency medicine doctors are, is after you're getting over it, and let's say you've been seen in the emergency department, are the return for care precautions or return precautions. One of the biggest areas of medical care and patient safety issues are not following the precautions to go back to see a caregiver after you're sick for any reason. So, David, uh, this recovery phase critically important to make sure that we're getting back to the new normal and not thinking, well, you know, we go back to the way we were living before, but be cognizant of these other diseases, but also be very careful about masks, avoiding poorly different, uh, poorly ventilated uh, areas, surface disinfection, group events, etc. We, we can't believe just because we've been infected that we're good to go. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um... I think that, that 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 kind of mindset is unfortunately, you know, a byproduct that might might kind of show itself based on all of the the, the lockdowns and things that we've had, where people kind of might get this sense of, ah, okay, like I've got it, okay, I beat it, I'm, I'm through with it now. Where that's that's unfortunately not the kind of mindset that we need to have. We need to we need to remember at this phase that the race isn't over. That as a family unit and as a CFO, we got to make sure that we are staying diligent that we're doing everything we can to keep ourselves and our families safe, and that is continuing the use of PPEs and putting yourself in good, safe environments where there's good ventilation, um, and also keeping a log. That that, that keeping a log um, stood out to me, and that, that again, will, will kind of help everyone stay diligent. It would be critically important if somebody had to go back to the hospital where you can show the doctors the log. So to me, what I would what I would communicate to, to CFOs and to families is that this 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 part of the, the cycle is critically important to stay focused, stay diligent, maintain your family safety. The race is not over. Finish the race strong. So the other thing that we want to do, and I've just put the uh uh I, I just put a square over uh the uh, medical records, it's critical that uh, you update the medical records and update the member threat profiles. Now there, now you have a different set of, uh, a different situation. As a former cancer doctor, I wanna know if somebody has had prior treatment for cancer, just like I'm sure Dr. Fox would wanna know and Dr. Uh, Boats would wanna know, have they had prior treatment? Do I need to be aware of some new conditions? So that's where during the recovery, we need to update those medical records. And then finally, the final R is resilience. And resilience is a, is a term that uh, that we use, and working very closely with Chief Adcox, and you'll you'll hear from uh, 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 Chief Matt Horace from Mayo Clinic, who's the head of security there. Target hardening during the quiet before the storm, after a surge or a wave, or after a, a hurricane, or after whatever, and you've you've been through it, is the best time to update everything. Hey, what could we do better in any of the R's? Can we update our checklist? Can we address um, uh, new things that uh, are critically important that we learn. 
How would we, what would we do different about our masks, our PPE, our checklist? How would we take care of, you see my wife, uh, Betsy, and in our film that we have created for the next webinar, um, how would we care for a loved one? Oh my gosh, you know, every time we put on PPE, I could have done that better, I could have done this better. Boy, it would have been better to have gloves here, it would have been better to have a garbage can there, it would have been better to have laundry uh, there. So during, during this period, uh, resilience is between the, the waves, what can we do to harden the target of our family? So David, respond to hardening the target of making uh, it harder for the kids and your wife and you to get infected, but also your hope and having that disinfection area. And what would we do differently now that we've had to be through this and taking care of somebody? Yes, sir. So, so my family, my wife and I are both school teachers, and uh, we have three young children. And so, one of the ways that we we hardened the the target at our home is we created a um, a, a disinfectant station with an outdoor shower and um, an area where we can change in our garage. So, we come home from school, we can um, take our clothes, put them directly in the washing machine. All of the shoes that the kids and myself and my wife wore to school that day stay in a, in a, a shoe rack in the garage. We can shower. We have a, a sink with with, um, with soap there that we can use. And so keeping keeping your your family safe and hardening the target at your home. Um, and you know what 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 stands out to me here is for the family unit is creating a culture of constantly trying to improve. And I think that that gets that 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 um, that the foundation there is set when you sit down as a family to create this action plan. And throughout the process, you're always revisiting, you're always revising. This is, so to speak, your your plan is a living document that kind of goes with you through this process. And I think as a family, if you're if you're doing everything you can to revisit what you've done, what worked well, what are ways that you can improve. And these aren't. You don't look at these as, as negatives as someone did something wrong. It's just these are opportunities to get better. And how can we as a family get better? How can we make our home safer? How can we make our actions more deliberate? And creating that culture of constant improvement, I think, is, is critical, and it's the best way for families to create and maintain a hardened target at home while also creating a, um, a plan for their family that works and grows with them as their, as their life and their family changes. Fantastic, and yeah, but we'll be hearing from Perry Bechtel III uh, shortly, uh, who's the leader of our college program. His father, Perry Bechtel II, uh, was a former Blue Angel, a flight surgeon with the Blue Angels, uh, and introduced us to them and helped facilitate uh, us flying with the Blue Angels and filming them for our documentary. And uh, a 43-minute flight would have up to a two-hour or two-and-a-half-hour debrief after a 43-minute flight. So the debrief and how we can improve and, and, and focus on safety is something that's uh, it's just built into the military approach to things and, and the briefing ahead of time uh, really make sure that we're doing uh, things safely and we see that in our, our best medical centers as well. So those are the five R's. So this one feature, you'll see, we'll keep updating it, putting it on uh, on the page. But now what we'd like to do is hear from our caregiver and our law enforcement panel. Uh, and we're so honored to have this group to speak with us to, uh, today. We have uh, Dr. C uh, Chris Fox. Uh, Dr. Fox is a professor of uh, clinical emergency medicine. He's the chair of emergency medicine here in Orange County at the University of California, Irvine. Is um, also one of the researchers involved in our study of uh, families and has deployed our survey across 
uh, his department. He's also an expert in ultrasound and medical education, um, uh, an avid waterman and very, uh, very active in many sports. So he, he can recognize the whole continuum of uh, uh, where we are. And it's been a, just such a great pleasure to have him, uh, him uh, uh, with us today. Uh, Dr. Fox, um, can you just react to what you've heard? Give us a, an idea of what's important about emergency medicine and maybe bring up your tip of pulse oximeters. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you very much for having me, Chuck. And, you know, thanks for putting all this together. This is a, an amazing resource that you've been uh, tracking on, and uh, it's, uh, it's great to hear all this. So, and I'm honored to be part of this amazing panel. Uh, so I think it's, it's important to, to just um, keep in mind, it's, sometimes it's very difficult for people to realize when it's time to come to the ER. It's like they're at home, and they seem like they're doing okay, and especially in some of those family members are a little bit more stoic. They don't share their symptoms as much. I think that's really important to, like, hyper-engage those people and really talk to them because the first sign that their oxygen might be dropping, if you don't have a pulse ox and can't measure it, the first sign that the oxygen might be dropping is basically what the CDC says, right? Trouble breathing or new confusion, those types of signs so when, when you're engaging somebody and you're, and you're talking to them and they say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, but then you realize, boy, they really seem to be trouble breathing. They're struggling to breathe. They're not speaking in full sentences the way they normally do. That's somebody who's really, you know, trying to catch their breath between their words, and that might be the first sign that uh, despite, uh, you know, sometimes you get a stoic family member, despite that, that might alert you to say, we got to bring this person in. So the other signs you look at there, bluish lips, again, another sign that the oxygen level is starting to drop. And one of the things we're seeing in COVID is that people can uh, be somewhat asymptomatic, even or they don't show a lot of symptoms uh, with low oxygen sometimes with COVID. It's kind of interesting how it's working. Uh, but, but what suddenly they, you turn around, their oxygen is very low. And they maintain right up until the very last minute and to the point where their lips are turning blue, that's a sign they need to come to the, to the hospital. And so, uh, you know, the CDC has got some good, good ideas on here. They say new confusion. Again, that's somebody who's not getting enough oxygen to the brain. They might start acting a little bit goofy. All of this means to you at home when you're talking to somebody, you really need to engage them. And having that pulse ox, like Chuck and I were talking about pulse oxes earlier, right at the beginning of COVID, I knew that this was going to be an important tool. I went online and bought one for my family. I keep it uh, with me, and I brought it to my friend's house here and there when they get COVID until they get their own unit. So you can buy a pulse ox today if you wanted to just go into a CVS or a Walgreens. But you can also – they'll be more expensive that way. But if you order them on Amazon, they tend to be a little bit cheaper. And what they do is it's this little thing you put on your finger, and it tells you your oxygen level. And uh, we, the you know, medical people call this a pulse ox, or sometimes we call it finger oxygen, because you put it on your finger, it tells us what your oxygen is. And normally on room air without any oxygen support, your oxygen level should be above 93, 94%, something like that. Um, but when you get COVID and your lungs start getting really affected by COVID, your oxygen level starts to drop. And so when your oxygen level is below 90%, that's really the time that you're going to want to need to go and get help and get, get some medication that can help with this, and so and also some supplemental oxygen. So I think having those pulse oximeters uh, at home, you can buy one on Amazon, 20 30 bucks I think still, um, last time I checked, 
not too crazy. If you go to if you go to the uh, you know, like a Walgreens or something, they tend to be maybe twice that. But either way, this is something that if, you know, anybody was diagnosed with COVID and they're wondering, do I need to go to the hospital or not? Uh, most people, of course, don't need to go to the hospital. But when it's time to go, this can be a sign below 90 percent. Simple. Let's go. Great. Thank you. And, uh, uh, Chris, thank you so much. And the other issue about emergency medicine is the return precautions. We're, uh, you know, in studying patient safety, absolutely critical to follow your direction. If you tell us that what we need to do, and if it dips, if our temperature goes to a certain uh, a certain level, or if certain signs and symptoms occur, uh, we need to listen to you. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. So in the return precautions that all emergency departments give, uh, we put in there signs that you need to return to the ER. Not just you know you got to see your doctor at some point in the future for this problem, but what what are their uh, our job in the ER is to make sure that you're safe to go home that day but it, then it's on you to figure out when you need to come back again and so those return precautions um you know such as trouble breathing persistent pain pressure in your chest confusion and you know suddenly somebody just keeps falling asleep all the time these types of return precautions are very serious. That means that the virus is actually getting worse. You may be diagnosed early on in the course of this illness. This illness may, you know, have its way with you, not today or tomorrow, but in three or four or five days from now. And it's those return precautions that you need to be uh, really cognizant of when it's time to come back to the ER. Thank you so much, Chris. And that's why I put those first two stories up front. Both of those stories were that kind of story, it sounds like. So thank you so much. And to see two precious young people lose their lives, because this, this thing can domino pretty fast. So thank you so much, Chris. And just so that you all know, uh, some of Chris's comments, and then also uh, Dr. Christopher Peabody's uh, 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 video, and the video that we made of the five rights of emergency care on the website, and um, on the 19th of, this, of uh, November for our medical teams, but anyone, the general public is invited, they're totally free. We're gonna take a deep dive on the five rights of emergency care. So thank you so much, Chris, we really appreciate it. Now moving to Heather Foster. Heather is an award-winning uh, nurse, uh, an infection preventionist, uh, in uh, a Rocky Mountain community. She it was a wonderful contributor to next month's webinar because what happened was when we saw that the essential workers were not getting any training on how to take care of someone at home, we put a whole program together on how to put together your isolation room, how to manage the PPE, how to manage the disinfectants and, and, and the rest. So Heather, thank you. We're so grateful for your contribution to that program. What would you like to add to today's? Heather, are you there? Oh, I see you're muted. Um, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Thank you again for this, Chuck. This is um, it's always refreshing to to make sure we're doing the right thing and in light of the um, evolving guidelines. But I'm going to give you a story of what happened to me last week. We've been fortunate enough down here where our first wave, we did really well. Our exposures were low. Our infection rates were low. Are you there? Can't hear you. I'm here. Yeah. You were saying your infection rates were low and then you cut out. If you want to just re repeat the sentence. So now we're seeing a surge. 
And with that, um, we've been seeing a lot of inpatient um, COVID cases. So in my preparedness here at home, I call my family as I'm, I'm in my warm zone, I'm in my car, and I, I warn them I'm on my way home to prep the shower and I enter and I just doff my clothing, put them straight in the wash. But before I even do that, I have them set up a, a, a disinfection station at, at, the, at the outside. Um, however, my kids have been using so many of the disinfection wipes, we couldn't find them. So there was this moment of panic. And I think that's something we gotta be prepared for as we, as we move into the second wave and just as we deal with COVID itself, and it's just not to panic, it's okay. Uh, so I, I resorted to soap and water, which um, still works, but it was just, I guess that's the lesson here is be prepared for those, those moments where everything is not always gonna go smoothly. Uh, we had a good laugh about it actually. Um, and like you said, that performance improvement, what can we continually do better? Um, both of us are in healthcare, my husband and I are. Um, so I guess be gracious with one another as we, as we tackle this, um, this pandemic. Fantastic. And, and thank you, Heather, for, uh, uh, for the level of attention to detail that we'll have in our uh, training. I just want to remind everybody, uh, latest updates on social distancing uh, on the website, same website where you go for our webinar. Uh, we've covered the science of the, the science of success of the masks and the new aerosol information and the CDC guidelines and what we know about masks and how successful they really are. You'll see my son, Charlie, there. Hand washing and disinfectants. Let's not forget, even though there's been less priority on high contact surfaces, that uh, they are is as important as they've always been. Uh, and we need to make sure that we understand hand washing and those contact surfaces. And then for those that want to know more about uh, respirators and ECMO, this use of an artificial, the artificial lung, uh, this helps you understand what might happen if your loved one had to have this highly technical life support, uh, and that's on the website. So now I'd like to introduce uh, Matt Horace. He's the Chief Security Officer for the Mayo Clinic. He's a, a best-selling uh, uh, author, and we're really blessed uh, to have uh, uh, Matt as one of our uh, leaders at the Mayo Clinic. He's responsible for uh, leading all elements of the Mayo Clinic's enterprise-wide security program, including security policy, strategy, ops, uh, risk management. Uh, he has uh, extensive experience working with multiple agencies uh, and has, uh, has a real focus for uh, protecting uh, the staff, uh, the patients, uh, and the caregivers at the Mayo Clinic, which is now ranked number one and has been uh, for multiple years with U.S. News and World Report. So they did basically are always setting, uh, setting the bar for all of us uh, to get over. So uh, Kyle, would you please uh, play uh, Matt's comments? Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience, both professionally and personally, regarding uh, this challenge and family safety plans. Matt, what are your thoughts after you've reviewed the plan? Right, my, my thoughts that we all need to establish and maintain a cadence of evaluating threats, vulnerabilities, and risks to help keep our families safe and ultimately to be contributing factors in keeping our communities safe. 
And, you know, you, uh, I think you have a number of officers that are interacting with the public and are at greater risk. What message do you have for our first responders and those that are keeping us safe and caring for us? Right, well, first you have to, you have to do the best, absolute best you can to help um, preserve your own health and the health of people around you uh, by uh, using PPE and, and social distancing and other measures. But also, if you get to a point where you feel at, at all uneasy or unhealthy, you have to stop. It's almost like we used to say back in law enforcement, you know, stop, drop, and roll. You have to stop, uh, get, get examined, and get evaluated immediately so that, you don't, so that you don't take that vulnerability to others and spread a possible infection to others. And even if you don't have it, if you don't feel well, stop immediately and get examined. That's what we tell our officers because, as you know, once someone is uh, infectious uh, and, and they get, you have to quarantine them and others and with your contact tracing, evaluate your whole operations. So it's very important for everyone now. If you don't feel well, stop and get examined, get tested immediately. Well, you're known to be a really awesome leader and you know probably better than anyone that when we are under stress, especially if we have someone at risk and even more if we have someone who's a loved one that's at risk, that you can't think as clearly when you're under stress. How important are checklists and preparation and what we call deliberative practice, practicing and working from a written plan? Well, as you well know, from a tactical perspective, we always or we generally do what we're trained to do. So there's that aspect of intuition. But in these cases, you have to have a very intentional uh, series of things that you must do when you identify that there's been a vulnerability or that there's been an infection. And I think it helps us all during these stressful time periods to have a checklist that you can look at that checklist and say, have I been tested? Okay, and who else have I been around? Have they been tested? Have I contacted them? Have I made the referral to occupational health? Have I made sure that I have the warm zones and the hot zones in my own home? What have we done to ensure that when my family comes home that they're not at risk? Have we taken the steps? And it, and it goes beyond just wearing PPE and using social distancing. What are we doing in our homes to protect us in our homes but also when we leave our homes and go out into the general public. Were you surprised to find that the family transmission chains were the Achilles heel of both our workers, but perhaps our nation? I don't think I was surprised, but I think it's something that we don't talk about enough. So I think that speaking about it and putting it out there will help all of our frontline workers to be just a little more safe. You know, a lot of us who are on the front lines we really we know that we're vulnerable. We know that we're exposed, but we don't think about it because that's what we're doing, and that that's why these checklists become so so very important in helping to keep our own families safe. Reinforcement is such an important factor. We know that firemen, people in law enforcement, I'm a pilot, uh, uh, people in the operating room, recognize the importance of repetition and repeatedly double checking and, and, and in looking at inventories and making sure that you're prepared. But it isn't something that you get when you have a family as kind of a, you're not handed an operations manual the may, maybe the way we do it in an operating room or uh, with, with an airplane. You wanna address the importance of just a, a regular schedule of readiness? Well, I think it's important now, listen, we're in full scale pandemic mode now. So it's important to treat this like we would any other crisis. And in any other crisis, we rely on several things. We rely on our training, we, re we now rely on our knowledge, and we rely on repetition to make sure 
that we can do the important things well when under stress. And I can tell you, uh, having gone through a COVID bout myself, that is very important to be able to remember to recall and practice and have a cadence of good practice. And, uh, you know, none of us are off the table, and COVID knows no boundaries when it comes to infection. Fantastic. Final question. Um, if you haven't had someone that has COVID in your home, you're absolutely surprised at all the things you need to do to protect the rest of the family. Any message about that to our audience? Listen, do the research, understand where your warm and hot zones are, reiterate and practice to your family what they need to do when they come in the home by taking off their shoes and their clothes, taking showers, practicing, still practicing social distancing and not putting, placing others at risk. The risks you take outside the home can become vulnerabilities in the home very, very, very quickly. Well, thank you, Matt. And it's just so generous of you to give your time and your thoughtfulness and your messages. We really appreciate it. Great, Chuck. This is very, very, very important. So glad to be here as always. So we're very, very grateful to have uh, uh, Matt help us and our co-founder of the MedTAC Bystander Rescue Care Program and actually co-leader of the Emerging Threat Community of Practice we started in tw uh, 2019 that included pandemics even before this happened uh, is Chief uh, Bill Adcox. He's the Chief Security Officer and Associate Vice President at MD Anderson and the Chief of Police at the University of Texas. Uh, 37 years in municipal and campus policing. He's one of the global leaders in, in threat safety science and is really paving the way and pioneering the way for us to understand these issues of threats, vulnerability, uh, and risk, and has uh, hundreds of officers that he has taken care of more than 20,000 people at Texas Medical Center, where I had the opportunity to train and did my medical oncology at MD Anderson. And so, Chief, uh, thank you for uh, being with us and being so faithful at supporting this program and helping co-lead it. Your thoughts? Well, thank you very much, Dr. Dunn, and, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, my uh, colleague, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Horace, he did a really good job of, of presenting, and I'm not going to go back over his area, but I did want to talk to to our great audience from a law enforcement perspective. And I think the most important thing is is that we need to educate ourselves and we need to educate our families. So think about when you're in law enforcement, you're in security, and you're in other areas of of the critical infrastructure. But particularly in law enforcement, we don't we don't have as much control over where we go. We don't have as much control on who we come into contact with or who, and furthermore, when we come in contact, sometimes we have to have physical contact. And, um, and we're dealing with the most vulnerable population. Uh, uh, so uh, you're, going to get, you're going to get enhanced uh, uh, times of exposure. Uh, I think Matt touched on that a little bit. So that, I would just say that warm zone is so critical. So you've got to protect yourself and you've got to protect your family. And so I would say that you need to make sure that you're, that you're doing the right thing before you get back in your car and you, you head to your home. When you get home, you're in a warm zone, you've got to disinfect your car, you've got to take off your clothing and, and change out, and you've got to do those things in your warm zone. And be careful that you are protecting your family. And secondly, that, that you have a plan at home that we've done so, such a good job today and reiterating and going through it with all the materials. But I think the key here is that you, you can't control the exposure. You're going to get more exposure in law enforcement and other professions. 
and you're going to come home, so make sure the warning zone is in place, which is critical. And uh, the last thing, I, I must tell you that, uh, you know, we have a, a saying that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so please, you know, have your plan. I know that in our business, we are continuously planning. We have, we have action plans. We do risk assessments tied to that. We have checklists. Uh, we have repetition. We have, we have both education. Uh, we have drills. We have active training simulation. So it is very critical that in each and every one of us to protect our families, make sure you have a plan, follow the guidelines we have today, utilize these wonderful templates, and let's work together as a, as a complete community and as a nation to protect one another. So thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, and, and I'll turn it back to you, Dr. Denham. And Bill, we want to thank you for the R&D work because uh, you actually helped lead the way. We've now got more than 550 responses. Our hope will be that we can study a thousand families, and uh, but without you helping pave the way, it would be impossible. And we look forward to you being involved in the deeper dive next month. Uh, uh, but thank you for that. Now let's shift gears. Let's talk about our college students, our young adults. Uh, those of us that have a, a, a separate living unit, and when we have written the article and the article that we wrote for Campus Safety Magazine, that Bill and Bill is a co-author, uh, and Dr. Boats is a co-author of that article, which is now downloadable. Please don't distribute it. We'd like to have them have the first say to have that out publicly, but uh, you as a community, we want you to read it. It kind of goes through the five R's and that kind of thing. But when we think of a family, we're not thinking of just those related to you. We're thinking of those that you are in, a, where you're in a common living unit. It broke my heart yesterday to see this article in People Magazine about a 20-year-old who died in her dorm room when she was on quarantine and find that she, her test, COVID test, was never delivered due, due to a clerical, clerical error. You know, we don't know, we can't be pejorative or judgmental, but we do know this is happening to our young people, just like the 13-year-old that we saw at the beginning of the, uh, of the program as well, who was on quarantine, like my friend is upstairs, and within days he was dead. So this is a serious disease, and it's, it's a little bit different problem to talk with people that are not part of your family, but who are your roommates, and we've all had roommates. I had them in, when I was in medical school, and you, develop, you have to develop your own tempo and a framework to be able to solve problems and get the place clean and do things, and it's totally different than your family. So as we, as we look at now uh, this, this issue and the leaders that we have to talk to today, we have Perry Bechtel, who, will be, uh, who is going to be the moderator of this panel that will continue to work together over time. And uh, uh, Perry is a University of Florida a student. Uh, he's a pilot. Uh, as I said, his dad uh, is on faculty at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, we've uh, had wonderful times surfing together, working together, and he is uh, our lead uh, instructor. He actually was our first college uh, teacher at Stanford uh, Medical Center where we uh, launched the program for college. And so Perry will uh, uh, be able to be our first speaker. Claire Peck is at NYU uh, as a, and a film student at NYU, as is Danny Policiccio. We'll play a clip of Claire Peck uh, today and ask Danny to comment as well. 
uh, uh, Jamie is one of our, uh, our uh, pre-med students who will also speak, and we're, we're grateful to have Paul Bataya, who's also an EMT and a, and a, and a uh, pre-med student, uh, who is the president of our local EMT uh, program at the University of California, Irvine, here where uh, Dr. Fox works, and then Preston Head, who is our more senior but young adult uh, uh, that can offer words of wisdom. Charlie Denham will actually speak regarding at the beginning of our uh, a scout program. So, Perry, what I'd like to do is just to have you react and pre provide your spin on this issue of roommates, separate living units, and negotiating this kind of a plan, which we absolutely have to have. Thanks, Dr. Denham. Um, I think that, like you mentioned earlier, living with roommates is a completely different experience than living with a family. People come from different backgrounds, a different way of doing things. And so when it comes to preparing for potential coronavirus exposure, and when it comes to the five R's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the, uh, the most important aspects are almost are the readiness, the response, and the resilience. Um, being young people, uh, many people who do get symptoms, they may not get symptoms, but if they do, generally they're very mild. So while it is important to keep a lookout for the rescue and for the recovery, I think the most important is being ready for a possible exposure. Um, living in college with roommates, you likely live in group living areas where separation can be very difficult. You may have your own room, you might share a room, and it's not like a being at home where you can kind of have your own corner of the house and have a lot of space. Many times bathrooms are shared, especially if you're in a dormitory um, or like a fraternity house, things like that. So I think having a plan of where you're going to go and how you're going to address the use of space and uh, contamination between whether it be utensils, clothes, things like that, um, I think the readiness aspect is super important. Additionally, uh, for young people living in group areas, response is also important. When you're exposed to a possible exposure, um, you need to act quickly and really make sure that you inform your roommates, inform those you've been around, because like I said earlier, a lot of people who get exposed won't get symptoms, but I, uh, it's important to make sure you act as if you will get symptoms and as if you will carry the virus, because people without symptoms can still be carriers. Um, and lastly, I think uh, resilience is also important because like I said, with the lack of symptoms, a lot of young people, if you're at home and feeling well, it's hard to quarantine, but you need to be mentally tough, be resilient, and make sure that you do follow CDC guidelines, spend the full 14 days or whatever the current guideline may be um, after exposure to ensure that you won't uh, contaminate others and infect others in your community. And thank you, Perry. And uh, you part of, I think a key factor in your bio is your lifeguard and ocean rescue uh, trained uh, person, and uh, you're leading our Eagle Scout program, which is, and we're really uh, working hard to uh, put rescue stations from uh, uh, in a segment of beach here from uh, San Clemente to Newport Beach. And we want to thank you for uh, your role in helping us do that. Uh, Jamie. Uh, uh, is a graduate of University of California, San Diego. He is a pre-med student, uh, very articulate, so impressed with him as he digs into the science uh, here. And uh, uh, Jamie, would you like to uh, uh, give us uh, your, your spin, Jamie Iristorsa, would you please uh, share your thoughts? So I think when you're talking about making a specific plan for college students in dorm rooms, you're in a little bit of a different scenario than families, because in a family, you have a very clear hierarchy of leadership. You have the parents, and then you have the children, and the parents are the ones 
who have to sit down the children and have the communication. Whereas if you're living with a dorm room, there's no clear leader necessarily. You might just be five or six people, five or six students living in a common area. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that there's young people among us that are willing to step up and have the difficult conversations within the dorm rooms um, and the apartments to say, okay, what is our checklist? Because having a checklist, like we said earlier, is just so, so important. It's like a relic of, of tangible sanity if something does go wrong. So I think um, it's just so important for young people to sit down and have these conversations and really have a tangible checklist of what they can do. Because like Perry said, most of the time, young people do not get serious cases of COVID. But on the off chance that you are in that 1% or that 2% that do, it's really, really important to be prepared. Fantastic. And Jamie, we look forward to your contribution and the rest of our college students and our young adults into the design of the templates for college students. We have a much larger group of college students and your scientific background is going to be really, really helpful there. Um, now coming to Paul Pattaya. Paul is a, a University of California Irvine pre-med student. He's an EMT. He's the president of the EMT Association uh, here uh, at the university. He's also uh, been uh, an instructor with us in our uh, in our CPR programs and our MedTech program, uh, and also a, a COVID survivor. So he provides a unique perspective, I think, as somebody in healthcare, uh, in future healthcare, but also having experienced it. Uh, Paul, your thoughts? Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for inviting me to be on this panel. I, I learn something new every time. All right. So, um, you know, uh, I, I kind of speak for, I, I hope I speak for all people my age, around mid-20s or low 20s, in that um, don't assume that everyone in your family unit knows what to do, right? That's why, you know, it, it's important not only to educate them on that family that family safety plan, but also, you know, try to make sure they're all aware of even the fundamentals, right? How to wear a mask appropriately, what kind of masks are, are better than, than others. Um, and, and things like, you know, quarantine versus isolation. What are the differences? What do you do uh, in, in either scenario? Um, ongoing local threats from your school, school district, your county. Um, for example, I live, uh, my, my brother, he's, he's 12 years old. He, he goes to the Irvine Unified School District. And they actually recently put out a, a, a sort of platform that tracks how many active positive cases that have been on a different, campus, different campuses in the uh, Irvine School District. And also, you know, Make sure you educate everyone in your family unit how to, you know, disinfect and clean appropriately, right? Uh, be aware of those contact times of those chemicals that have to be on those particular surfaces. Um, and also the locations of various, you know, materials in your household to make sure you don't run out, obviously. And, um, and lastly, you know, uh, make sure that this education that you're doing for, you know, not only yourself, but the others in your household is continuous. You know, like other panelists have said, this is an ongoing, evolving situation. So it's, it's essentially, you know, really up to you to stay on top of it and, and be that chief family officer to uh, to shed the light on the situation. Well, great, Paul, and, and we want to congratulate you for doing an amazing job before COVID of teaching the, the Stop the Bleed program, the American College of Surgeons Stop the Bleed program. We're so impressed when we first met you, how many students 
you taught regarding uh, severe bleeding, which is part of our MedTech program. And, you know, once we can get through this coronavirus crisis, we're excited to, to kind of resume a lot of that and do it uh, virtually. But uh, a terrific job using your EMT platform to reach out to the college students. And we'll look forward to your input on the design of the templates. Um, Claire Peck is an NYU sophomore film student in New York City today. He had a, a class today, so we recorded his comments regarding uh, this age group and some of the challenges that you all have uh, with, with such templates. Uh, Kyle, would you please roll the tape of Claire? So Claire, now that you've had the opportunity to consider the steps that you might have to take with roommates when you're living away from home and at college, do you see value in having a plan and having something in writing to follow? Definitely, and I think you should always be prepared to, to avoid um, surprises because you never know when you're gonna get the call that you've been in contact and the, you don't wanna hesitate. You wanna know what you have to do in that situation. Be prepared and with this guide, I think it helps for that. You're a younger person and most people of your age may not have medical conditions that are important, but having a go bag to take to the hospital, having a list of medicines, having a list of medical records, do you see that as valuable since you've actually seen and been around people that have had multiple hospitalizations? Yeah, I totally agree. It's, to uh, it's, it's very easy in the moment to just get up and run to the hospital without all the proper things you need. And who knows, you, you might not be wearing a mask yourself and have to quarantine yourself, therefore you can't help your family member in need. So you just need to be as prepared as possible so you can take care of yourself and the people that you live with and are around you. Claire, do you think that now with a third surge of this virus that people in your age group that are, you know, oftentimes called the super spreaders, but also those that are not as symptomatic, do you see a more, more of a seriousness about this virus now with the third surge? So I do think that people of my age group are taking it seriously, especially those that I've witnessed in my bubble. They haven't really faltered with their um, degree of seriousness. And I can't really speak on the other people in my age group. I hope they're taking it more seriously as they see everything that's going on. I know in particular, NYU has been very, very good um, within the city, just as their own little community in keeping everyone safe, dorms off campus alike. Uh, but I can only hope that we continue to do well. Great, and uh, we really appreciate uh, Claire's input uh, on the program. And we have another NYU film student uh, who actually was one of our producers and worked with us on our MedTech videos that you see on our websites. Uh, another terrific young man uh, who uh, is, uh, has a, a great uh, perspective as a, as a storyteller and, and, uh, and, and speaker and uh, develops great messages through his films. Danny, what are your thoughts now that you've heard the other students and, and, and perhaps some thoughts that you can represent uh, of your age group? Um, and honestly, I truly believe with everyone who's gone prior to me, living in a dorm, living in an apartment away from family is truly something different because back at home, as uh, Perry was saying, you can't have your little corner of the house, but living with roommates in a small New York apartment, it's not as possible. Uh, so, as Jamie was saying, like we need to be prepared. We need to always consider as if something will happen, and having a go bag and everything like that is very important. And 
preparation really is just key, especially in living these tighter and smaller environments than back home with our families. And you're experiencing in New York City a, a really evolving process where you really had the background communication, the background infection rate had dropped dramatically, but now we're seeing it come back up. So one of the things I think that is so important is that you you all need to keep your finger on the pulse of the background infection rate. Isn't that right? That's correct. Uh, within the last few weeks, the infection rate has been soaring compared to where it was when we got here. But as Claire was saying, thankfully, NYU has done a really great job and keeping the community safe and making sure people stay healthy with our uh, COVID tests and everything else. Well, and thank you for your contribution and future contribution because our templates for you all as students will include travel and how you can manage reducing and, and uh, reducing your vulnerabilities and, and harden yourself as a target as you travel across the country. So thank you for that and thank you for your filmmaking. Thank you, sir. So Preston Head is uh, a master MedTAC instructor, CPR, Stop the Bleed. He is uh, an experience, he was a UCLA superstar in water polo, uh, a terrific surfer, a co-founder of the MedTAC surf program, and a wonderful contributor to our Adopt-a-Cove program here in Southern California to be, and our goal is really to be able to have every beach through an, about 19 miles of beach to have uh, three minute from drop to shock time for sudden cardiac arrest and to have the stop the bleed gear. Now we're working on COVID and I have to add that layer of protection of both the Good Samaritan and uh, and the, the, the patient. Preston, you, you're looking back from your later 20s on this age group. Can you give us some wisdom from your perspective of having gone through college and now living on your own and being able to kind of focus on how do we how do we tackle it from college through your age? Preston, are you muted? We'll move on. There we go. Preston, are you there? He's not on chat. Okay. Very good. Well We'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on, and uh, uh, for those of you that come back to watch, we'll have Preston in the, uh, in, in the final on-demand version. So this was another really troubling story that we saw on the web, and a 13-year-old Missouri boy uh, was put in a quarantine, and yet he died just days after. Family asked us to remember masks, washing hands, following the guidelines. This is real and uh, students and parents need to need to take the precautions. I think we're constantly learning about this disease and uh, we're finding out that it's more and more contagious and we're learning things that we can build into our plans. But this is very sobering. And as we think about our, our now our final group uh, uh, to respond, uh, are our faith-based and scout leaders and speakers. Uh, and Charlie uh, Denham, my son, is uh, uh, soon to be an Eagle Scout, working on his projects with the stop the with the uh, um, uh, with our uh, Adopt a Cove program. We've got a clip from Charlie uh, expressing his message to other people at his age, and then we'll uh, talk to our scout leaders. As a high school freshman, I understand that I can take a leadership role in my family's safety plan. Dr. Boats has taught us the value of deliberate practice. We know that it works in sports and it will work keeping your family safe. The message to youth in our article is, be a student leader. 
Choose this great opportunity to grow the leadership role within your family. You can be a role model for your fellow students and friends. So Charlie is a co-author of the article uh, that you have posted with uh, Campus Safety. We have now a series of five articles with Dr. Uh, Boats, uh, Chief Adcox, uh, Charlie, and myself. And uh, I don't think we have Mr. Tomlinson on. Uh, Kyle, I didn't see him on the lineup. Uh, let me know if he comes back. But Mr. Tomlinson is a, uh, a committee chair of, one of our local troop, of our troop, our scout troop. And when recognizing that the coronavirus crisis was very serious and being someone that's uh, very well educated and thoughtful, uh, he decided to get a, a trailer that he had and actually create an isolation chamber, which you see on the left. Uh, this, this allowed him to actually create a space that could be self-contained, have its own ventilation, and separate from the rest of the family. So he has that at his home in case somebody gets sick, they could be in an environment where they can control eating, ventilation, uh, uh, cleaning, disinfection, and uh, keep, uh, keep the family safe. So it was a great creative uh, approach. Then when he learned about the aerosol risk, and so basically the droplets that are five microns and larger are droplets that land within six feet or perhaps nine feet of us and that's where gravity is, exceeds evaporation. Smaller droplets under five microns, uh, actually evaporation exceeds the gravity and they can float in the air. And so his recommendation is that we really need to look at the airflow of our HVAC systems, our heating and, uh, and uh, air conditioning systems. And uh, Mr. Randy Steiner, the Emergency Management Director for UCI, uh, due to uh, some of the uh, preparations after the election, uh, is uh, will not be speaking today, but his clip will be in the future uh, program. And, uh, and now it's, it's really a great pleasure to uh, have uh, Mr. Uh, uh, John Little uh, join us. Uh, uh, he is uh, uh, one of our uh, terrific contributors uh, as uh, both a faith-based uh, volunteer uh, at one of our large churches in the community, and he's got a terrific background with extensive experience working with LAPD. He's a paramedic. He was a rescue diver uh, as well and has had tremendous experience in the past. He's one of my heroes. He's a wonderful contributor to uh, our church. John, of all of our experts, you've probably been in the most highly stressful in situations, taking care of gunshot wounds out on the front line and with the police and in crises that demand immediate action. How important is it for us to have checklists and gear checks and practices like we're putting together in our plans? Hi, Doctor. I want to thank you first for uh, it's been a, a great, great uh, series. Um, first of all, you have to train and practice. You never stop training. It has to become second nature. Equipment checks have to be done. You know your equipment and train with it. You have to be confident with it. However, the che checklist should always be done. And it sh should be uh, the, 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 the checklist should be completed on just about uh, everything you do. As a, as a firefighter, the, the, the training academy or drill tower, they had a model uh, train as, as if your life depends on it, because it does. However, stress can really blind, blind you if you don't rise to the level of your knowledge. You drop 
the level of your training, all the research has proven this again and again. Fantastic. So we might know something, but we usually under stress drop to our training. So, exactly. so, so you're both a medical and a security volunteer leader for faith-based organizations. You do both. And thank you for that service. What's your message to essential workers like you about creating a safety and a family safety plan? So being a front responder volunteer for faith-based organizations and scout groups and others, um, uh, it's kind of a unique environment. What, what are your thoughts uh, regarding our faith-based organizations? Well, we're, we're trying to, <clears throat> uh, with, uh, with your help, I think the church that I'm working with is doing a great job. But, net, <clears throat> but um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, many of our faith-based organizations do not have the in, uh, in infrastructure to support so support you. Therefore, it's important to take the responsibility for keeping your family safe with a solid plan. <clears throat> Train with your family, your wife, your children, your neighbors. If you get sick, you can't just serve your organization or your loved ones. Fantastic, and and I think you know you've addressed uh, great, graciously and and and. Uh, uh, the fact that many of those our organizations probably don't have what they need to keep us training, and yet your exposure is is high or even higher than perhaps Chief Adcock's uh, team. So thank you for your service, and uh, and our goal is really that we could help uh, and help the faith-based organizations with their cert uh, certification programs. Finally, our final commenter is uh, Keith Flitner, an aerospace engineer. He's uh, just a delight to work with. We probably talk every day uh, to do work here in Orange County and scouting, and uh, just a very creative and thoughtful uh, man, a great uh, role model leader in, in our community in Orange County. And Keith, can you be our anchor player and kind of uh, give us the perspective on how we could leverage this with our membership organizations like Scouts, but even broader in our community? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when we started off in Cub Scouts, uh, we, we, as one of the previous uh, commentators mentioned, that we did a fire plan uh, very early on. And it was interesting to see how my son took ownership of that for our family and became that leader, as Charlie talked about, of that family safety plan. Uh, expanding it to include COVID is just a natural fit with these uh, youth-based organizations and getting them to be involved right from the start in developing it and then owning it is really, I think, the key. Even as they progress and they get older, and the older scouts, they become more active in uh, first aid training and all the things that just fit right into this program. So again, um, I encourage you to, to be active with your kids and, and hopefully um, see them take on that leadership role. Well, ter terrific, uh, Keith. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much. What we want to do now is uh, we're just uh, six minutes over. We would really love to have all of you that are on. Uh, uh, please fill out our survey. Kyle, could you put the survey up uh, and, uh, and, and give us some input on each of the five R's? Each of these R's are really, really important. And uh, what we want you to do is if you've already taken our survey, just click that you've already taken it and then add your free text entry thoughts. And basically the survey is, my family is ready to take care of a loved one with coronavirus in our home. We've kind of told you what we think readiness is. Let us know if you, if you think you are or were and what readiness information would you like to have and tell us 
what would you like to have in the templates? Because we're going to keep evolving them. They'll be up on the website by the first part of next week with input that we've had for from today. Uh, my family knows what actions to take if my loved one's infected. Again, free text entry questions. What would you like to see? My family knows what to do when someone develops severe COVID-19 symptoms. I think this new CDC work is just fantastic uh, to give us a little more detail, but I love what uh, Dr. Fox had told us uh, about the pulse oximeters. And then what information would you like in that template section? And then recovery, the same question, uh, and the same question regarding resilience. And so uh, uh, we would really love to uh, have you uh, also answer uh, changing behaviors of the teens and young adults is key to beating the coronavirus. Let us know what you think and let us know what suggestions that you have for our teens and our young adults uh, as we go through that. Finally, what I'd like to do is just share with you next month, and thank you, Heather Foster and Dr. Boats and Chief Adcox for your contributions. We're going to take a deep dive on how to create an how to identify an isolation room, how to create your isolation room, then how to manage somebody who's sick at home. We're gonna address seniors, how to put your care team together, set the room up, what are the supplies that you need, and how would you do that? And perhaps, uh, Heather, if you're still on, uh, Heather, any kind of insights that you wanna uh, add uh, to uh, what, what our uh, plan is? I'm just looking to see if Heather's still with us. Heather, do you wanna unmute and, and maybe just uh, uh, let us know that uh, we really can do this. We really can, and we probably will have to take care of somebody at home. Can we do it safely? And do you think that uh, this will be a value next month? Oh, definitely, Chuck. I think there are, uh, especially in our rural areas and in our Indian reservation areas, there have multi-generational families, even in inner cities. This is going to come as a huge um, benefit to them and, and to any, everyone as we. Uh, start becoming more exposed to this virus. Great, and uh, Chief, Ad Chief Adcox, um, uh, as we dig into this, I know you, you all have done a tremendous amount of work for your essential uh, workers and your, your responders. Uh, uh, your, your pitch to first responders, those in law enforcement and, for, and, and security, how important it is for us to really have uh, kind of a state-of-the-art way to manage these cases. I see Chief Azan, he may have been called away. Uh, well, I would just like to thank all of you uh, for being terrific uh, speakers. Uh, many thanks for uh, wonderful contributions. I just want to remind everyone that uh, the templates and the articles uh, are on the website, on the pages of the website uh, uh, that where you register. We're going to keep adding the templates slide sets and additional information to those pages. Uh, and what you'll, uh, you'll please mute if you can. Uh, the checklist that you see on the slide number 117, these are the, that this is the level of detail that we can provide you on putting together your room to take care of a loved one. And then finally, Jennifer, you, you opened us. Uh, we're running a little bit long, but uh, please offer your thoughts and please close us. God bless you all. Thank you all so much. We'll let Jennifer have the last word. Thank you so much, Dr. Denham, for having me today. I learned so much. I really urge everyone to get one of those little pulse ox monitors.
I've uh, got one some time ago, and I think they're really handy to have, and we've actually used them at different times uh, because I am out and about from time to time. I keep my social distancing. I wear a mask, but you still never know, especially now with things just the way that they're going and the cases are rising so terribly high. Um, thank you again, everybody who was speaking today. I learned so much, as I'm sure everybody in the audience has. Um, please feel free to share this broadcast once it's available with people, uh, relatives, friends, colleagues, and, and share and invite others to future webinars. Um, be safe, everyone, and God bless. And thank you again for being here. Thank you, Ed. Stay on just for, for uh, process improvement, Luke. Many thanks. We'll see you next month.